All right. I was just telling Max, I think that's the 14th time I've seen that video. I'm starting, I say to myself throughout the week, dumb, 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 dumb. <laughs> I do actually like it. I think it's good to show videos like that, but anyway. I am Joe, by the way. I'm the pastor here at Reality Church, a lead pastor here, and uh, welcome to you. Uh, glad you're with us today. I see some new faces and uh, some faces I haven't seen in a while, and so it's just great to see you and uh, to be a part together of us finishing up this series on what makes uh, you happy, where we've been talking about this topic that is somewhat of a mystery sometimes, about what is it that makes us happy, what leads to happiness in life. Um, it's not always clear. And sometimes in life, we find ourselves at a place where we look at our lives and we say, you know what, I don't know if I'm happy. And I can't exactly say why, because a lot of the stuff that I thought was going to make me happy actually um, hasn't. So if you want to go back and listen to or watch any of the sermons from this series, you can. They're online. And um, here's just a quick review of some stuff we looked at. First, we looked at there's no thing that makes us happy. So it's, stuff can make us, like, give us pleasure. It can make us happy, you know, for a little bit. But, like, this internal sort of fulfillment that we're looking for as people, the thing that really is meaningful to us, we're at a place where we're like, you know, I just feel happy with life, and it's like an ongoing thing. Stuff doesn't do that. No thing does that. But rather, we, it's more about who does that. So it's not a what. It's more about who that leads us to happiness. So I think that was the, the first week. Then the second week, we looked at how sowing the right things in our lives, leading our lives or living our lives like Jesus would have us. And we looked at the Beatitudes that, that Jesus spoke about and how those are the keys to sowing the right things in our lives that will eventually lead to a, a happy life. And then we looked at how peace is connected to our lives, you know, and, and uh, we, we said that, you know, peace with God is, is probably the greatest thing that gives us happiness, you know, having a relationship with him, knowing that for all of eternity, things are going to be okay. Like, that's a good thing to have and a good place to have peace. And peace in our relationships leads us to happiness. Um, so we looked at that. And throughout this series, we've tried to challenge ourselves towards the things that will lead us to happiness, the things that Jesus um, talked about. And I think this morning's is probably kind of the highlight of all of them. And it's probably the one where, at least I feel like it's the one where I'm going to kind of challenge us in a place that's hard as a church. I've challenged myself in prepping the sermon and of challenging all of us here this morning as, as you hear this. And it's, I think the reason why it's so hard is because it doesn't come naturally. What I want to challenge us to do this morning that will lead us towards happiness is not at all natural. In fact, we were born completely opposite of this, this whole concept, Okay. And everything around us in the world teaches us sort of the opposite of what I believe Jesus teaches on this concept that will lead us towards happiness. So here's a couple of statements just to kind of, you know, make you really mad at me here right away. First one is this. It's, as long as you are all about you, you're not going to be happy. Okay? As long as you are all about you, you're not going to make me happy. Now, most of us would say, you know, I'm not all about me. And probably none of us are all about us. But, you know... As long as there's like, you know, this thing in our lives where we're going through our lives and it's all about us, generally, we're not going to be happy. And the second statement is, is connected to it, and that's we can't acquire, consume, or exercise our way to happiness, okay? We can't acquire things and think it's going to make us happy. We can't just be focused on consuming things for ourselves, and think that's going to lead us towards happiness. And we can't exercise our way and just kind of get ourselves to look a certain way 
and think that it's going to lead us towards happiness. Now, probably on the surface, many of us could say, okay, I kind of know that that's true. That sort of makes sense to me. But what we do typically in life is not practice that idea, or we, we probably actually do practice that idea more than we would think. We kind of look around at people around us, and we look at what they have, and we say, you know what, if I could just have that kind of car, that house, or if I could have her looks or his looks, then I think I'd be happier. If I could just have a job or a family that's like theirs or their situation, then I think I'd be so much happier in life. And what we do is we look around at people, whether it's in school or our neighbors or our coworkers, people that we might know at church, and we say, you know what, we, if I had that from that person, if I had that from him and you know, this from her or whatever, we kind of make this sort of imaginary person in our minds that if we could attain that, then we would be happy. Our life would be great. And we don't know if that, those things make that person happy. We don't know what their life is like, but we sort of imagine that in our minds, and it's all kind of focused on us and our own happiness, and I think it's part of the trap. And what we're going to see this morning that I want to share is I want to show you some research, some scientific research that's been done on this topic, and I want to show you what God teaches about this topic, because what we're going to find is that actually the opposite is true. That the more that we try to acquire our way towards happiness or consume our way towards happiness or try to make ourselves look a certain way towards happiness, the more we try to focus on ourselves and make ourselves happy, the less happy that we will be. So here's the good news. The good news is that this idea of sowing our way towards happiness that we looked at in the series, you can serve and volunteer your way to happiness. Okay? You can serve and volunteer your way to happiness. Now, many of you are tuning me out right now because you're saying he's going to ask me to get involved in the church. That's what his motive is today. I know Joe. He's always doing that. He's going around. And, you know, you, you're, you're, you're right. I am going to ask you to get involved in the church. But you're wrong in knowing, thinking that that's my motive. Okay? Because what I want for you is so much greater than just you getting involved at Reality Church. If that's what you feel like is holding you back with what I'm going to challenge you with, what I hope God challenges you in this morning, don't get involved here, but get involved somewhere in giving your life away and putting a practice into your life. Just like you do in the morning when you wake up and take a shower and brush your teeth, when you look in the mirror to make sure you're looking good, just like you do when you get on that treadmill or whatever else things that we do for ourselves, get involved in somewhere where systematically a part of your life is giving your life away towards others, because you can serve and volunteer your way towards happiness. Now, when you go home today and you're bored the Sunday afternoon, if you have any downtime, Google some of these things that I'm going to talk about today. Look at what the research says about this idea, because it's over the top strong on what has been done, that scientists have done, and researchers have done, to prove that the more people give their lives away, the happier they end up being. In fact, the healthier they end up being as well. Okay, so here's a couple of highlights. This one's from the University of Chicago. It was research that was done with, and asked a bunch of people this question. It said, what are the most fulfilling jobs or careers? You know, what are the jobs or careers that you can have that are going to lead towards a happy life? And so they made a list and they compiled it into categories and they said the most satisfying jobs are jobs where people care for others, where they teach others, where they protect others, or where they create things to give to others, where they have a creative kind of bent and they do that to give towards others. Now, does this mean that all of us should quit our jobs if we're not in one of these fields and go and do, you know, become a nurse or a teacher? No, absolutely not. But the research shows that happiness comes from giving to others, 
okay? And the other part of this research from this particular study that's really interesting is it says it's not at all tied to our income. So, you know, a lot of times we think that the more money we make, the happier we're going to be. And then we get to that level of income, and then we say the same thing. You know, it's always more, right? We always want to make more, and we think that's going to lead us towards happiness. But this research shows that as long as we have enough money to pay our bills, to, to eat, you know, so we're not hungry, to put a roof over our heads, any income above that isn't proportionally connected to our happiness, okay? So it's not about our income. It's more about what are we doing with our lives that is making a difference in the lives of others, all right? Another study. This one was done in the UK, and this one was really awesome. This one was done over 20 years. They looked at a bunch of different studies. In fact, there were 40 studies that were done over the course of 20 years, And they looked at a link between volunteering and your health and happiness. Again, regularly, people who regularly set aside time to give their lives away for others. And what it found is that people that did this, that built this into their lives over 20 years, they had a decrease in depression. They had less heart disease. Like, how in the world could that be connected, right? They have less stress. You can kind of see that. There's less drug use in teens, There's less unplanned pregnancies in teens. In fact, the study went on to, to, I don't know how they did this, but it talked about how if, if you're a teen and you don't feel like getting involved in serving, it's good to do it even if you don't feel like it. And even if your mom and dad say, you know what, you have to do this because it's good for you, some, you'll be mad at them for a while and you might serve with a bad attitude. You know, I remember I was like that, right? But someday you'll look back on your mom and dad and you'll thank them because you'll begin to build this sort of attitude of serving and giving your life to others into your life that will last beyond sort of the years where you're mad at it and it'll lead towards health and happiness in your life as you learn to give your life away. This is incredible stuff. The research is overwhelming on this topic, that the more we learn to give our lives away, the happier we are going to be as people. And, you know, some of this is like we think about it. Like, have you ever gone on a missions trip, like a short-term missions trip, and you've kind of given your life away for that week, and you got to the end of that trip, and you were just exhausted. You were tired. But you're like, man, that was great. I feel so good. Like, you know, I did something that made a difference in the life of another person or groups of people, and it just felt good, even though you were exhausted or you have a neighbor that they're struggling with something, and you helped them out for a couple hours when you really didn't have the time. Or you were driving down the road, you know, and you help somebody change the tire, whatever it is. When we give ourselves away, we have that sense inside that connects with something in us that says, you know what, there's something about this that I was made to do. There's something about the way that I was created that is worth me giving up my life for the sake of others. But it doesn't come natural to us. And probably it's one of the most difficult things for us to grow up out of. Because we grow up in a home, right? And when we're young, it is all about us, right? Everything is kind of focused towards us. And then as we grow, it's this thing that we have an opportunity to mature out of. Right, but, but we don't get taught that if we're not, I don't think, involved with the local church, if we're not reading our Bibles on a regular basis, if we're not meeting in small groups, it's not a message you're going to hear outside of Christianity. I mean, maybe sometimes people say it's good to do good for others. You know, you can hear that. But where can we get it taught regularly and be encouraged in it in a regular way? So here's a question for, that I was thinking about with this whole topic. So why is it that selfish behaviors make us happier? Why is that the case? You know? Why is it that this is true? If the research shows it, and if God teaches it, you know, why is it true? 
And, you know, I think there's a couple of words that could summarize this whole idea. And it's probably not super surprising to, to, to us, but it's, it's two words. It's called divine design. The reason why we, were, we get something out of giving our lives away is because we were actually created by the giver of life to give our lives away. In fact, if you study in the Bible what happened with creation, the Bible is so much more specific, in my opinion, about how we were created and whose image we were created in than kind of the, the, the timelines and all that kind of stuff. And it's clear that we were made in the image of God. And one of the greatest attributes about God himself is that he was a giver. And he modeled that, of course, when Jesus came into this world. He came in this world to give his life away for us, you know, for people that didn't even like him. All right? We were created, our divine design was to be givers in our life, was to give our lives away. I love this verse in Ephesians. It says, for we're God's handiwork. So you just think about that, that you are God's handiwork. Like, I love that idea. Just, it's worth pausing on it for a moment. You know, personalize it. Stop, you know, don't think, think about yourself here. You are God's handiwork. So he formed you and made you, right? And he created in Christ Jesus. So through Jesus, we were made and we were made to do good works. You know, we weren't made to consume for ourselves. We weren't made to just kind of acquire for ourselves. We weren't made to just look good on the outside. We were made for good works. It's our divine design by God to be givers, to give our lives away. But the challenge in this is all comes down to sin, Because every single one of us were born into this world broken. And the Bible talks about how we came into this world and sin just infects us right away. Like, and you know, you don't have to teach a kid to throw something at somebody or to smack someone else or to say it's mine, right? It's natural. That's what our nature teaches us. And so sin has this way of separating things, right? We looked at that through this series. Sin is a way of separating us from God. That's the ultimate, like, separation, That without Jesus and without receiving him personally in your life, accepting the sacrifice that he made on the cross when he died for your sin, without doing that, you're separated from God for all of eternity, and that's really bad. But through receiving that, just through a simple prayer, you can receive your forgiveness and be connected with him. He overcame it. But sin is a way of separating our relationships. We get upset with one another. It's broken, right? There's a, a break there. Sin is a way of separating us from ourselves, You know, God created you to be a giver, to give your life away. But sin, I think, it's one of the most destructive things about it is we don't understand that naturally. We think stuff is for ourselves. And so it's it's through Jesus and it's through practice that we're going to see that we can get back to the way that we were originally created, the way God made us to be givers of our life. And if you think about the happiest people you know, the happiest people you know, you know, you might not want to look at like them, because they, probably, they might not spend a whole lot of time. And I'm not saying it's bad to be in shape. But I, I wish I was in better shape and I want to spend more time on it, right? But they might not have all the stuff. And maybe they do because you, you can look great. You can have all the stuff and still live this way, right? But the happiest people that we know, sometimes they don't have that stuff. And they're so happy. They just get this concept of giving their lives away. And it's a beautiful thing. So let's look at what God teaches about this. All right, for a moment. Now, I want to show you guys what was written by Paul. It's in the book of Galatians. Now, Paul didn't spend time specifically with Jesus. He, he might have for a few moments. We're not exactly sure. But Paul spent a lot of time with people that were around Jesus a lot. And he learned from them. 
And then he was inspired by God to write down things in these books that we have and letters that have been preserved for thousands of years. So he talks about this concept that we're looking at today. And what I think he does here is he draws a contrast. All right? And we're going to see this contrast. The contrast is like this. What it's like to live our lives for ourselves and some of the stuff that comes out of it. And he's going to talk here about like the worst things in that, okay? And then he talks about what it's like to surrender our lives to God in such a way where we ask God to come in and help us live our lives for others, all right? The, the clearest picture of a life surrendered to God is a life who's surrendered for other people, okay? So there's a contrast here that he draws. And Take a look at this with me. It says in Galatians 5.19, it says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And he's talking about the flesh. And whenever you see the flesh in the Bible, typically it's talking about like our, our sinful nature, the way we were born, right? Our natural desires that, you know, without guidance from God or without, you know, parents, people loving us and guiding us, we could go full tilt in our sinful ways and be full of self in our lives. And so he's saying all that stuff, the acts of the flesh, he said they're obvious and he explains them. He talks talks about sexual immorality, right? Any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sexual immorality. Okay. So if you're wondering, can I do this? And I'm, you're not married. If it has to do with sexual acts, you probably, it's not good. You can if you want to, and you'll experience some pleasure in it. Pleasure that you're not supposed to experience because you're going to start feeding an appetite that's just going to grow. And it's not going to just stop and go away, you know, from one time or just from whatever it is. It's just going to grow, okay? But you can go there. But he says, you know, it's, that's, from, that's not from God. That's selfish kind of stuff, you know? And the thing about sin, and sorry, a little rant here, but sin is always for the temporary. It might feel good now. It's always for the temporary. God's ways are always put down the temporary, wait on the temporary for the future thing that's going to be so much better. So he says the acts of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, which is, you know, excessive partying and, and um, sex and, and alcohol, abuse of alcohol and drugs in, in a party scene. Um, he talks about idolatry. He says that's, you know, you're, you're trying to get God to do certain things for you, or you have certain things that you put ahead of God. You, this thing is so important to us that we can't give it up, even though we know God is asking us to. And then he says witchcraft. And I was thinking, man, witchcraft is like one of those things in our culture that's so misunderstood, I think. You know, things like uh, tarot cards, Ouija boards, um, talking to the dead. Um, even I think, guys, you know, maybe I'm a little radical about this. I don't think I am, though. Like, I, I, watching programs where people are connecting with the dead, don't do that stuff. Right? The Bible forbids things with witchcraft, and it does that to protect us. God's not trying to ruin our, any fun or whatever, or you know, trying to find out if our loved one is okay or whatever. That's not what it's about. God's trying to protect us, because when we open our hearts and our, our beings to things that are evil, it always takes us further than we want to go, so we don't want to mess around with witchcraft. All right? He says, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. All this stuff, it's really about us. It's stuff that leads us towards pleasure. It's feeding something that's an appetite inside of us. And throughout this series, we've looked at appetites, when you feed them that are, from, that are sinful, that are self-oriented, all they do is grow. You can't feed a, a sinful appetite and expect it to just go away. Okay, I've satisfied that now. It, it's going to come back. It's just going to get stronger. The way you get rid of them is you starve them. Right? So Paul said, on this side of the equation, 
our acts of the flesh. This is living for ourselves. And it's kind of the, you know, the highlights of the, the worst sort of things that happen from it. And then he contrasted a few verses later. In Galatians 5.22, you see this contrast where he begins to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. All right, now before we look at the fruit of the Spirit, let me just describe a couple of things about this that I think is really cool. It's good to understand. When I first became a Christian, I thought that as soon as I became a Christian and Jesus was part of my life, you know, sincerely gave my life, like uh, gave him my sin. You know, I said, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I believe what you did for me as best I can was for me that when you died and you rose again, it's personal. I made it personal. And any person here this morning, right now, you can do that. And God says you'll be, you become a Christian in essence. You, you, in eternity, forever. It's that simple. You'll be with God forever in eternity. You'll be saved for all of eternity. Just a simple exchange in telling God you believe it. You know, if you really do believe it in your heart. Well, I thought that, you know, for some reason that when I did that, when I became a Christian, that all of a sudden my life was going to get better. Like it would change. That the things that were a struggle for me was sin, which I still have. Or the things that I thought, you know, would be a good way to live my life, that I'd see other Christians, you know, kind of, you know, how the husbands would treat their wives, for example. I thought it would just all of a sudden, you know, it would change because I was a Christian. And what I've learned is that that's just sort of like the initial entry point into the faith. And God does a lot with it, right? Because it lasts for all of eternity. But if we want to be people who are living following Jesus or who are living our lives in such a way where it's not a self-oriented life, but it's more life the way we were originally created to live. It's more life that's full of the fruit of God that we're going to look at. What that takes is a, a regular and daily surrender of our lives to him. So it looks a lot of different ways for different people. For me, it's, you know, it's a lot of times it's praying, God, I really feel like doing this or I'm really mad about this, but I need you to come in take over my selfish kind of desires or ambitions and help me follow you in the right behaviors. It sometimes looks like saying I'm sorry way more than I ever thought I would in my life. Sometimes it looks like saying I'm sorry even though I can't see anything that I did that was wrong. It looks for me like being encouraged on a regular basis through settings where I'm listening to teaching. Smaller settings, small groups where I'm involved with other Christians who are helping me kind of unpack this. It looks for me as things like regularly in Scripture, reading the words of God and internalizing them for myself and hearing what God says to me. Okay, there's these practices that God has given us that begin to allow us to live our lives in a way that is much different than the self-oriented life that we were born with. And it's a lifelong process. But he says, this is what's going to happen if you do that. He says, you're going to experience fruit of the Spirit of God. Okay? Fruit of the Spirit of God. Now, when we look at these fruits, and as you're reading them on the screen, how many of these fruits are self-oriented or are for me? Our divine design, we were created by God to be givers of life givers of our life. When we engage in that activity, we connect with something deep internal in the way that we were made, and we begin to see outcomes in our life that include these things, the kindness, joy, love, peace, forbearance, which is like patience, faithfulness, every area of your life, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you know, 
holding back the pleasures, starving those appetites. These are the things that begin to show up in our lives that other people sort of feast on, other people connect with, that connect our relationships, that connect our relationship with God, that connect us with ourselves in the way that we were originally created to be. These are things that bring together, you know, reconciliation when there's a broken relationship. These are the things that connect instead of tear apart. Now, I love the Bible so much. And I love reading in scripture when you discover things like this. And then look at this. It says in Galatians 5.23, it says right after that, it says, against all these things, there is no law. And I thought, what in the world does that mean? That there's no law. And I thought, you know, when we look at these, these verses or these, these highlights of these things, he says, there's no law about that. And I was thinking, okay, if I lived this way, if my life, you know, lived loving, joyful, peaceful, all these things, would there need to be laws to help keep me in line? You know? If my marriage and family life, if these were the things that characterized the Castronova family, what would that be like? Can you imagine in your life? If this is what, how you were, you know? If this is how you lived your life. If you're married or if you're single, if you have a family. If this is what characterized it. Could you imagine when you, where you go to school, if your classrooms were filled with these things. If the people inside of your class, that's how they behaved. If you're on a sport team or a club team. If the leaders of that team were leading people towards these things rather than the self-oriented things. Or how about where we work? Or our communities, our neighborhood, Lancaster County, or this nation, or even the world. If it was filled with these things, there wouldn't be laws that would be necessary for us to follow. There wouldn't be people in government that need to kind of uphold standards because the people are sort of, you know, all in disarray and doing their own thing. Do you know that the further you will go away from God and his kingdom, the more you need laws and, and ways to provide order for people. And the more you go towards God, the less you need it. Could you imagine what this world would be like? And guys, you know what this goes to for me is it goes to be very personal, very passionate for me. Why do I want to live my life as a follower of Jesus? Because I care so much about the people around me that are closest to me. Because I care so much about the community that I live in and the church that I serve at. Do you know why I believe in the local church and why I think the local church is one of the greatest institutions on planet earth? Because you're not going to hear this and see this and have this encouraged on a regular basis anywhere else than you will if you're, unless you're a follower of Jesus, you get involved in a local church that's teaching it. And this is why I believe the local church needs to be as healthy as it can be and as active as it can be in its community. And why it's so important for us to invite other people to come into this because this is the way we were created. This is about our divine design. And this is why we need to be concerned and thinking about our future where we are going to be able to start other churches that can go out and do the same things. Because there's people all around us everywhere that don't understand this way of life. I never did in my early 20s. I thought Christians were just this fake thing. There were some people up front that were doing things. I didn't understand that it meant a way for me to connect with the way my creator had made me and the way of life that would change me and would change my family and my community. Do you know that we change the world one person at a time, one family at a time, one community at a time, and it happens when people begin to understand, you know, the way of life that's all about us. It's not going to do it. It's not going to do it for others. It's not going to do it for us. The way of life that God made us to live was where it's all about others, So it's all about giving our lives for the sake 
of others. Now, can I just lay it on a little thicker for just a moment? Five more minutes or so? Because I want to just ask you for a moment, shift gears a little. How do you measure the value of a life? How do you measure it? When you think about the times that you've gone to a funeral for someone you cared about, and you participate in that funeral, and you hear people tell stories about, you know, the man or woman that passed away. Do you hear them tell stories about all the, all the stuff that's the flesh stuff? Man, he was just a great partier. Man, that guy just, he just, you know, accumulated and consumed so much for himself. You know? Do you hear that celebrated? Is that how we value a life? You know, inside of us, and we even just step back and we think about it, we know it's not our nature. The nature part isn't right. We know it's not right. You know? We can step back and say the value of a life is how much was he or she able to give away. That's how we measure it. That's how what we celebrate. There's something about eternity that gets us in touch with that. I was meeting with uh, Tabitha, who's a part of our church, and, and her mom, Nancy. And we were planning the celebration of life service for um, her dad, who passed away. And I had an opportunity to meet her dad one time in the hospital. He died pretty young. He was in his early 60s. And I sat in his hospital bed next to him about a month ago, and I heard his, much of his story, and I saw this man, got to know him a little bit, and I saw the joy in his life. And he shared with me just a little bit, and I got a sense, like, this, there's something kind of unique about this guy. And, and then I sat planning their celebration of life uh, funeral with his wife and, and daughter. And I heard stories after stories of a man who never acquired much. And again, there's nothing wrong with acquiring a lot, obviously. A man who always was, seemed to be more focused on what he could do for others than he was himself. And what I experienced in that hospital, I guess, was you know, just a, a snapshot of what his life was. He was full of joy even while he was unhealthy and sick and, and dying. This man lived a life full of joy. I heard his daughter share stories about growing up, how they had very little, but his dad would do what he had with what he had to help other people. And story after story of them taking people into their homes and going and serving in different places and all kinds of stuff like that that had such an impact on her and other people. And I said, man, is there something connected to that? And man, does it make sense that what the research shows is true? What Jesus taught and modeled for us is true? And that for us, when we get down to what really matters for us, we can tell, you know, at the end of our lives, what's going to matter? It's going to matter about how much of our lives we'll be able to give away for the sake of others. And here's one more illustration. You guys know the Dead Sea, right? You've heard of the Dead Sea. It's called the Dead Sea because it's dead. There's nothing alive in it, I guess. And the Dead Sea is dead because the water flows into it. Water evaporates, so the salt content in the water or whatever got really super high. And, and um, no water flows out of the Dead Sea, well, what's interesting is the Dead Sea is actually drying up and shrinking. And they're trying to figure out and they're investing money to try to figure out how they can get water in it so it doesn't um, go away. But what's cool is less than 100 miles north is the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is all full of life. There's fish in there, people, there's resorts around it, there's swimming, water skiing, all kinds of things involved with the Sea of Galilee. But the Sea of Galilee has water, Galilee has water going in and it has water going out. The Dead Sea has water going in, but no water going out. It's drying up and dying. Reality Church, if you and I don't figure out how to give our lives away, 
we're going to be like the Dead Sea. Everything's going to be coming in. There's not going to be anything going out. And you and I are going to become smaller and smaller and smaller, more and more unhappy. As our life goes forward and as it continues and as we near the life, the end of our lives, we're going to be more and more disappointed and even frustrated. If it's all about us, we're never going to be happy because you and I were designed by the giver of life to give our lives away. So what makes you happy? Well, happy as a man or woman or a college student or high school student, middle schooler, grandma, grandpa, single person, married person, whatever. Happy are the people who learn to give their lives away. Okay? Now, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond. And Barbie's going to come on up here. Come on up here, Barbie. I want you to hear a little bit about her story. But on, your, on the chair in front of you is a little card that says serve. Okay? And on that card is an opportunity for you to get involved in serving here at the church. Now, a couple things about this. First, if you feel like I have an agenda today, don't sign up to serve here. There's so many good organizations in this community that you can get involved with and serve at. All right? So don't do it if you feel like it's, you know, one of those places. But just do it. Put it into your life. Build it into your practice, into your life. A discipline like you would other disciplines that are important for you and your well-being. Just do it because I think we can probably, most of us can connect with it's good um, for us. Okay? Second thing is if you decide to sign up to try one of those areas on your card, what we're calling this is a test drive experience. So it's, it's serving one time. You can choose to serve for an hour, two hours, once a month, twice a month, whatever you'd like. It's a one-time test drive experience of serving in the church. If you like it and you want to stay involved, you can. If you don't, then that's it. If you want to try a different area after that, you can. If you're serving in a certain area of the church and you're like, you know, I really don't like that anymore. It's not connected with my heart. I want to try something else and you can try something else through this test drive experience too. So if you'd like to sign up to take a step that way, fill out your card, drop it off on the table on, on your way out. Okay? As you're looking at that, thinking about it, I want you guys to meet Barbie. And you guys know Barbie? Barbie's amazing. High five, Barbie. Yeah, yeah. Barbie loves coming up on stage. She's just like, yes. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know that I feel your pain. <laughs> so I guess I want you to meet Barbie because this is what, made, what we thought. We were talking this week. Josh and I were talking. And Calvin were like, you know, who's in our church that we think of? There's lots of people. But who in our church like, comes right to the surface? Like, they just love serving. You know, they love, and Barbie's just, that smile is there all the time when she's involved in serving. And, and so just tell us, give us a brief snapshot. Um, how did you come to the church? I was invited to church. I was invited by, by some friends. And uh, at that time, it was the timing was perfect. The crossroads of my personal life was uh, um, at a point where my son was uh, a teenager. He turned 17, independent. Um, my husband was kind of finding uh, things to keep him occupied with um, Spartan races and Tough Mudders and something I really wasn't into. But um, he had his thing going on. I had retired from a job of 20 years. Um, so I kind of stopped seeing those friends. Um, and then I started a new job, so I was a newbie. So um, when the invite came, I had been praying to God, I had, a, I had been baptized um, back when I was 30, but I had fallen away from my church. Um, uh, some circumstances at my home, I just felt it uh, um, a need to kind of separate myself for just a short time, but it turned out to be um, like 13 years. But um, uh, 
I thought it was weighing on my, my marriage, so I stepped away for a few um, years. So anyway, the, the invite um, was perfect timing. I realized that those years that I was away, I had become very bitter and angry, and life just didn't seem to be pleasant anymore for me. So um, I'm like, sure, I'll take the invite. And um, um, I had a criteria. was It had to be Bible-based, and um, I wanted to be in a community again that I knew were believers, and um, so that's where it came to play. Awesome. So you came to Reality Church, and, and you started meeting some people. I think I remember meeting you almost right away when you came, yes. and, and, um, and so um, you started just kind of connecting with Jesus. Right. And with others. Right. And then um, at some point there, I think pretty early on, you, you wanted to get involved. Yeah, it was like another um, similar message like you had today where it said to be involved. And um, I knew I was kind of on the fence about tithing. I wanted to, um, I wanted to tithe my full, but um, it was kind of a coincidence. I had to con- convince my husband to agree. But um, so I wanted to serve. So serving was kind of like my tithing in a way. But then now I tithe now. But um, yeah, I wanted to give back because I knew this was the right direction. I, I knew it from when I was baptized when I was 30 that going with God was just what I needed to do. And I knew that I wanted to go full pledge. And so you started getting involved with, with serving. What was that experience like for you? Um, again, I think there's a scripture that says, um, never cease from being among believers. So I had that in the back of my mind. So I knew that if I came it was just a cafe. I knew I can make, well, you know, serve and, um, in the cafe. So I wanted to be among women that would help me learn how to be, um, more, um, gentle in my speech. And, um, I wanted just to practice that. So that was basically the first thought I had, but I knew that it was God just wanting me to be, um, a servant of his through the years that, well, it's only been a few years, but, I've learned that that's, he just wanted me to be a servant for others and, you know, I, and I enjoy that. I enjoy serving others and the smiles and giving other people smiles and welcoming them, welcoming them here. So Awesome, Barbie. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, thank you. Can yeah. we give Barbie a hand? Thank her for, good job. Can I have that mic? Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut the, the clap short. Can we clap for her one more time? <laughs> All right, well, let me pray for us, and uh, then uh, any of you would like to stick around for the financial update, you can. Uh, Lord, thank you so much, God, for, oh, Lord, things that, um, God, you, you, I think you, and you surprise us with, and Lord, sometimes it's hard, though. You, you hear something, and I know all of us are in different places with um, so many things, God, when we um, hear a message like we did this morning, and Father, I pray this morning that if there's any step that you would like any of us to take to see this be more a part of our lifestyle, God, that you'd lead us into that. Um, Father, just thank you for the capacity that you have and that you've given us to understand the truth, really, is what it is, God. That you love us as your children enough to not let us go our own way, which is so often very, very much self-centered. But Lord, you love us enough to take us out of that shell that's not just good for others, but Lord, really is good for us too. We thank you for that. Thank you for continuing to father us as a church in every way. 
In Jesus' name, amen.